0: in the bulletin. We are in 1 Peter chapter 5. Would you please give your attention to God's word as Tess comes and reads it for us now.
1: This is a reading from 1 Peter. This is a reading from 1 Peter. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For, those, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord.
0: We're looking this spring at the doctrine of the church. What is the church? What is she not? What are the benefits of being part of the church? Why would you want to join a church today? These are good questions, right? Today, we move into the idea of the authority of the church. Who has ultimate authority in the church? How is the church different from civil authority, that is, governments, police, judges? Why are you so fearful? about authority in the church? Why are those who are over the church so fearful about holding your feet to the fire, holding you accountable, as God's word calls the elders of the church to do? These are the questions that we're going to talk about today. They're important questions, aren't they? Because a lot of you, like me, have been in churches in the past where you've just been burned, or you've been burned out. And so we want church on Sunday morning to be a place, we want this church to be a place for healing for you. There was at one point in time when five ministers of the gospel were in our church. Five, because they just wanted a place where they could come and rest. And we hope that that's true of every single one of you. And the moment that our church stops being a restful place, that worship stops being a restful place, is the moment when we begin to give in to the temptation For us as a church to be doing too much, perhaps, or neglecting those duties that we ought to be doing as a church. So let's talk about this today. Let's break this idea down into two categories based upon the passage that you just heard read for you the neglect of accountability in the church and the need for accountability over the church. All right? The neglect of accountability in the church and the need for accountability or the need for authority excuse me, over the church. Neglect of accountability in, the need for authority over. Let's look at the text. Look with me at verse 4. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. (laughs) Now, we love verse 4. Receiving crowns of glory, we like that. Being subject to the elders, what? We don't like that, so let's talk about it. Um, Daniel Borstein is a social historian. He wrote about the extravagant expectations that we have as modern Americans. Listen to what he has to say. When we pick up our newspapers at breakfast, we expect, even demand, that it bring us momentous events since the night before. We turn the car radio on as we drive to work and expect news to have occurred since the morning papers went to press. We expect our two week vacations to be romantic, exotic, cheap, effortless. We expect a faraway atmosphere if we go to a nearby place. And we expect everything to be relaxing, sanitary, and Americanized if we go to a faraway place. We expect anything and everything. We expect the contradictory and the impossibly. We expect compact cars, which are are spacious, and luxurious cars, which are economical. We expect the rich to be charitable, powerful and merciful, active and reflective, kind and competitive. We expect to be inspired by mediocre appeals for excellence, to be made literate by illiterate appeals for literacy. We expect to eat and stay thin, to be constantly on the move, and ever more neighborly to go to the church of our choice and yet feel its guiding power over us to revere God and to be God. Never more have we been masters of our own environments. And never more have people felt disappointed and discouraged by their experiences at church. Isn't this true? Like is it what he described like so current? Like is that your experience? He wrote that in 1962. But it's still just as applicable as it is today. Even more so. How about a text that was written in 8064 never more applicable than it is today? First Peter wrote two books in the Bible. Peter wrote two books, First Peter, Second Peter. These names are wholly uncreative. Genesis is called Genesis because it's about beginnings. Numbers is called Numbers because there are two censuses taken in the book of Numbers. Lamentations is called Lamentation because Jeremiah is lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem. He is crying. He's lamenting Lamentations. But when you get to 1 Peter it's like, it's called 1 Peter. And the reason why it's called First Peter is because the early church was extremely concerned with authorships of those books. So, the, Israel was very concerned with beginnings, how they began. Moses wrote it for them in the wilderness, therefore they called the book Genesis. But 1 Peter, the early church called 1 Peter because they wanted you to know that when you hear 1 Peter read by the elders throughout all of Turkey where these churches were that you are hearing it from one who was an apostle, one who was called by Jesus. It was as though it was Jesus' very word to these particular churches. But if we were to do to First Peter what they did in the Old Testament, naming books based upon their subject matter, First Peter would be called On Christian Suffering. Because the entirety of the book of First Peter is helping Christians know how to make it through this persecuted life of suffering in the ancient Near East in the first century and Peter says to these early church Christians who are persecuted you have three resources I want to give you number one you have the Holy Spirit chapter 1 also in chapter 1 he says not only do you have the Holy Spirit but you have an inheritance that will never spoil perish or fade away you have the Holy Spirit you have an everlasting inheritance given to you by the Lord Jesus Christ you can endure the persecution coming to you. Oh, and there's one more thing that, that you have been given, a Holy Spirit to indwell you, the inheritance that is certainly yours. And you know what else you've been given? You've been given shepherds over your church. And in chapter five, Peter drills down on those shepherds and he says, shepherds, this is what you are to do in church. This is how you are to respond to those shepherds. Felicia uh, Wu-Song is a writer in a magazine called Culture, and she writes about the neglect of any kind of community around us today. She says, Social networking sites may have been lasting consequences because of their very design. It articulates what sociologist Barry Wellman has long argued, that the local community is no longer a meaningful category for Americans. While we are clearly embodied beings, the salience of physical location, the purpose of physical location has diminished in how contemporary Americans think and function in their social lives. The best way to describe contemporary sociability is in terms of networked individualism, Overlapping networks of social ties that have individuals at the core of each. People understand community in terms of multiple systems of friends, of contacts, of acquaintances that span time and place, but are all oriented around each independent self. Uses of other technologies like cell phones reinforce this dynamic. People make more and more calls, not to places or households, as we did 10 years ago, but to individuals quite apart from their physical location. Listen, this is, has huge implications for the church. Because when you come to the church, you come as a networked individual. Just think about your friendships. And you live in this tension of you come to the church and you think, what can I individually get out of it? And so you set up your checklist, your standards of what makes a good church for me. if all these preferences. But notice that Peter in the midst of persecution says all that burns away. All that burns away when you feel that tension. The tension of trying to be part of the world and yet being Christ's. And there's a tension there, and we have said in the past that we don't want you to try to resolve that tension, we want you to feel it. Because we don't want to be separatistic. We have our things in order, we believe the right stuff, we do it the right way, we separate from the bad, bad world. Nor do we want to assimilate so that we just look like the world. We hold things in tension as Christ's church. And part of the way that we hold that tension in place is through what the church calls accountability. The point of this passage, in these five verses, is this principle We follow the chief shepherd who is a good shepherd. By submitting to his elders called to shepherd his people. We follow the chief shepherd who is a good shepherd by submitting to his elders to shepherd his people. Now, we all know about the neglect of accountability. How about the need for authority? Let's chew on this for a few minutes. Notice what he says in verse 5, the verse that we don't like. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, the word younger there doesn't necessarily mean chronologically younger. There are other words that Paul could have undoubtedly used if he wanted to speak of being chronologically younger. He could have used, he uses the words neoterai, but he could have used words that "neonis." He could have used uh, neoskenos. He could have used these other words that would have been much more accurate. To those of you who are under the authority of elders, submit to them. doesn't matter what your age is. And the word for elders, presbyteroi, where you get the word Presbyterian. It literally means old man. But that doesn't necessarily mean a chronological age, although often it does. In this context, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It means somebody who is spiritually mature and called by the Lord to shepherd his local church. The word presbyter or elders or the word bishop, episkopos in Greek, those are the same words used interchangeably all throughout Scripture. And the means by which God has shepherded his people from the very beginning of time, even before the New Testament, there were seven um, presbyteroi in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. There were seven people that were the chief elders over the synagogues. And so when the New Testament comes into play, the disciples pull that structure into the New Testament to help shepherd the local church. And so it means somebody who is called to shepherd God's people look at what it says in verse 1 so I exhort you the elders there's the term presbyters among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed let's think about what these elders are first I exhort you the elders notice is there one elder or two there's at least two There's plurality in the eldership of Christ's church. Peter, who is the chief elder, he's the, listen, every list of disciples that's ever given in Scripture lists him first because he's primal. He wasn't special because he was distinct and different, but he was the one part of the inner ring of Christ's fellowship. And yet, Peter here says, I exhort you as elders, plural elders, not just one of you over the church. There are many. Over the church. That the Lord Jesus has called. In The church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts 4 and Acts 5.1 and in Acts 8.1. You see the plurality of elders. There are many elders given to the local church. In the church of Antioch in Acts 16, uh, 13 verse 1. You see elders called to shepherd the church of Antioch. Paul's first church planting mission in Acts 14 and 15. What does he do? He calls elders to the church before he leaves. Or, in all of Paul's letters to the churches, the 1 Corinthians and Philippians, etc., he addresses it to the elders of the church. Now, why is the plurality, that's kind of a funny word, we don't use that word very much today, The, the multiple elders, more than one elder, important for the sake of the church? It's important because you are not subject to one individual in the life of the church. You are subject to a plurality of elders. And those elders together make up what's called a session or a board of the church. And at Trinity, just because I'm the one that's the pastor of the church, and because of 2 Timothy 5.17, there's a biblical warrant for paying somebody to shepherd the church in a full-time vocation doesn't mean I have any more authority than those other men that you saw up here reading earlier today or speaking earlier today. The teaching elder and the ruling elder in Christ's church have the same authority. Now, don't, don't glaze over on me. Don't geek, I'm not trying to geek out on you. I'm just trying to help you see that just because I'm the pastor of the church doesn't mean I have any more authority in the eyes of the kingdom or over this church than Mike Phelps, Will Parker, Nathan Keltner, Jason Kreider. We are called together to shepherd this church. And that's extremely important because you need to be protected and you need to be able to examine the scripture to see if what Pastor Blake is preaching is really true. And you need to have a place to go if you felt like you were being led astray by your pastor or even by your session. And you do in our former church government because we're fighting to make it as biblical as possible. Notice what Peter says, to the elders among you, as a fellow elder, not just is there a plurality of elders, but there's parity amongst the elders. That is that every elder has the same authority. When I was in New York City, um, in the metro, in the PCA, there is what's called a, a, a presbytery. It's the regional group of churches over local churches to protect those local churches. And there was, in New York, there was a vote very early when I was ordained in a campus minister, Very early. And there I was in this meeting, and I'm sitting right next to a very well-known pastor. All of you would know him if I said his name. And we voted different ways. It was shocking. And essentially, even though he had a much bigger church, several thousand people, and I was a lowly campus minister, we had the same authority. That's a beautiful thing because it protects. It protects God's people, and it helps them become humble humble. Because they know that they have the same authority amongst one another. So there is plurality of elders. There's also parity. That means that we share authority. Peter here was the chief of the disciples. And yet, what does he say? As a fellow elder, I'm one of you. We need authority over the church. And this text shows us how we do it. With elders. And those elders are plural, those elders have parity, and also those elders partake with you in the glory that is going to be revealed also in verse 1. They're fellow partakers with you, which means that because they're partaking in the glory, they don't have the glory yet, and they are fallen, broken sinners. And therefore, do you know what your elders need from you more than anything else? They need your prayer and their families need your prayer, and their wives need your prayer. Listen, the men are called to be elders, but their wives have a whole other dynamic that they have to contend with, and they need your prayers. So there's plurality, there's parity, and elders, it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, are partakers with you in this tension, in this life of networked individualism that we all lead together. So, how are we to respond How should you respond to this? It says in verse 5, Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility. Peter just gives instructions to the elders. He says you should not do it for shameful gain, but you should do it eagerly. That is, you should do it voluntarily. You should not domineer, but you should be examples to them. And then he says, Likewise, you who are younger should be subject to your elders. And then he says, All of you, clothe yourselves, not just the younger ones among you, but even the elders, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Nothing is worse than when you hear on the news about some elder domineering over his flock. It is just as sinful and harmful as if he had a gross, scandalous sin because it is gross and scandalous. And unless there's checks and balances for you, you would either not be a real church that's holding people accountable or you will be subjected to the capricious nature of individuals who aren't themselves held accountable. And what we try to do at Trinity, we spend a lot of time doing, is because of the virtue of the way the PCA is set up, there are checks and balances so that you have the ability to appeal anything this session does to a higher court. And at the same time, if you, are, if you abuse your elders, the elders have an appeal to a higher court to protect our church. Now, this higher court can't tell us what to do outside of what Scripture tells us, but they can help hold our feet to the fire. If, you're, if you guys are in the military, you know exactly what that's like. If you're in a corporation, you know exactly what what that's like. You report to higher authorities. Why is it then that you have such a hard time doing it in the church? It is God who calls the men. You just confirm their confirmation through a congregational vote, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ who sets them apart. This is so important. Where is membership in the Bible? Show me where it is. 1 Peter chapter 5. It assumes that you're under shepherds who are governing you as examples to the flock and holding your feet to the fire. And so, how do we respond? We clothe ourselves with all humility. Bernard of Clairvaux said that humility is a virtue by which a man knows himself as he really is. The opposite of humility is, of course, pride. And the chief example of pride, of course, is Satan or Lucifer himself. It's in... Dante's uh, great book, The Divine Comedy, where you read in the pictures of hell in his comedy that men and women are forced to carry loads of bricks on their back to help them grow more humble over time because they live their earthly life with such proud arrogance. One author put humility like this, condescend to all the weaknesses and infirmities of your fellow creatures cover their frailties to love their excellencies to encourage their virtues to relieve their wants rejoice in their properties compassionate th- compassionate their distresses receive their friendship overlook their unkindness forgive their malice be a servant of servants and condescend to the lowliest offices of the lowest of mankind but you cannot I cannot be subject we can't be listen it's not it's not just not part of who we are. You cannot be subject. You cannot be subject to other people. Because this has been the problem since the very beginning, hasn't it? God gave Adam one very simple command. Be subject to what I've told you. Here's the law. Do not cross it. And as soon as he was tempted with another option, he took it. And so do you. And the only response we have to this is to read this passage and to sink your teeth into what verse 4 says. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The Lord has called local churches to be overseen by elders. But the head of the church is no elder of the church. It is the chief shepherd who is the good shepherd, who calls under shepherds to pastor his people. And it says, when the chief shepherd appears, where is he gone? Well, he has accomplished for us everything we couldn't accomplish. And now he is the right hand of the Father. And while we are wholly saved, completely saved, confident, sure-footed, in his hand, nothing can take us out of his hand, he will one day come again to make everything new. And until then, he has set up a way for us to remember that again and again through the elders of the church. And we are to submit to it. Will you say to me, listen, I, that's just too much. I, I'm, 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 too, I'm too, I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, listen, let me just, what does verse 4 say? The shepherd appears, he's not going to come empty-handed to you. He's going to give you the crown of glory. Like, we're not asking you to submit yourselves because we think it's a good idea. We're asking you to submit yourselves because Jesus is coming again. He's going to reward you. He's going to give you an unfading crown of glory. Do you remember when you were younger and your parents went out of town, or students, children? Do you remember when you leave town? I mean, when your parents leave town and they come back, and what happens? They bring with them gifts and presents. And it's like they thought of me when they were gone. It's awesome. And you're, you just feel so good. You give them hugs. It's so good to see them again. How much more will it be when Christ comes again? give you an unfading crown of glory. The whole of the Bible is the story of crowns lost and crowns earned. In the garden, God gave Adam a crown, and He set it upon his head, and He said, I want you to be my king over creation. And Adam, at the temptation of Satan, said, no thank you. I don't want to be your subject, I want to be my own king. And he decided to do what he wanted to do. And ever since the fall of the garden, the story of the Bible has been the story of crowns regained. And Jesus Christ, the one who ruled, the king of the universe, the second person of the Holy Trinity from all eternity, took off his crown, Philippians chapter 2, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he gave up his crown. He took on human flesh. Why? So that you could have yours back. But you didn't earn it. So that Jesus could come and he could earn the crown that you can never earn. And re-king you. You will not just be with Jesus in heaven. It says you will reign with him. You will not be God. But you will be with him. Oh, it's going to be beautiful. And in the midst of the persecution that we experience now... What persecution? Temptations are tough. And some of you at work, there's legitimate, legitimate persecution, however you want to define it. And some of you are being, perse- you're being tempted through the ways that your family has run from Jesus, your children are running, and you kind of have this deep sense of yearning, but you don't really know what you can, you can't talk to people about it because you don't feel like you'll be accepted or loved or appreciated. You feel embarrassed by it. Listen, don't feel embarrassed by it. We are broken people, and we want this to be a place where you can bring your wounds. We're not trying to be exhibitionistic about sin. We're just trying to be honest about it. Some of you will say, listen, I just can't, I can't do it. I like the idea of submission, but I can't report to any man. Okay, okay. You know you don't have to, because Adam had the choice to. But if you choose not to report to any man, I want you to know that you are choosing to be less than human because to be human means to submit. Jesus was the only perfect human we've ever seen in history, and yet he voluntarily submitted himself to his father. That's a picture of true humanity. So you can choose not to follow any authority, that's fine. But you know you must know going into it that you're choosing to be less than human in that decision. And Jesus is the only One you could submit to. The only Lord you can have. If you receive him, he satisfies you completely. And if you fail him, he forgives you completely. The only one. And here, Peter is giving us resources for the church. The Holy Spirit, your inheritance, you have as saints, and the accountability of the local church. That's where the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ comes. And some of you will say, and I know, I... Listen, we've all said it. I can't submit to the authority of the church. Why do you think you're better than Jesus? The Son of Man can do nothing of himself, John five nineteen. I can of my own self do nothing. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, John five thirty. I receive not glory from men. I am come not to do my own will. My teaching is not mine. I am... I have not come of myself. I do nothing of myself. Do you hear? All through the book of John, John 5, 6, 7, 8. I have not come to myself, but he sent me, John 8, 42. I seek not my own glory, not John 8, 50. The words I say, I speak not from myself, John 14, 10. The words that you hear are not mine. They're my father's, John 14, 24. Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. You cannot begin to submit You cannot begin to obey. You cannot begin to see yourself as one who can't submit until you see that Jesus was the ultimate one who submitted himself for you. In his incarnation, it was his heavenly community. He emptied himself to become a man. What is his life but humility? He took the form of a servant. What is his his atonement but humility? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross for you. What is his ascension and his glory, but humility, exalted to the throne and crowned with glory? He humbled himself, and therefore God highly exalted him. In heaven, where he is, he is at the right hand of the Father. Even there, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, ruling and reigning, Jesus is at the Father's right hand in humility. In his birth, in his life, in his death, in his seating on the throne, in it all, nothing but humility. One author has said, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature. Eternal love, humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness. To win and serve and save us. And the love, please hear me, and condescension of God makes him the benefactor and helper and servant of all. So Jesus of necessity was the incarnate humility. And so he still is in the midst of the throne like we saw last week. The throne room of God in Revelation chapter 4. John turns to see a lion and who does he see but a meek and lowly lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. God humbled himself so that you can see the lowly lamb of God and you can run to him. The temptation to neglect the accountability of the church is great. But so also is our need for the authority over the church. And Jesus Christ, he is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd who is good. And he calls elders to shepherd his people under his watchful gaze and tender care. And our only response is humility because you need each other. Anything else is asking yourself to become less than human. So see the ultimate human, the Lord Jesus Christ, with his hands open to you, saying, run to the church. Run to me, Jesus says. Because it is in the church where my presence is and where my power is known through the preaching of the word, through the administration of the sacraments, and through the gloriously beautiful, yes, often difficult, use of church discipline. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you will help us as a people to not be fearful of submission or of humility and help us not to be fearful of those things because we see you, the one who was perfectly human, Jesus, submitting to your Father. And in your example, no, even in your life and sacrificial death, you cover us with your righteousness And so, Lord, we pray that you will help the elders of this church to shepherd you with that same humility. And you will give us grace and peace to love us even when it's hard. And to love our brothers and sisters even when it's inconvenient. And Lord, we do this for your glory's sake because you are returning. You will come again to make all things new, to give us an unfading crown of glory. Thank you that though we lost our crowns in you, we can have them returned. Only in you. Thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen.